Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Good morning and welcome to the seventh day of my 12 Saints, 12 Days blog series. And this morning we're talking about a relatively minor character, Sergius Paulus, who appears in Acts 13. Um, the And so some of these figures like Sergius and I think, I can't remember if it's tomorrow, but like the jailer of Philippi and others would have been a part of the military apparatus, but are not talked about um, in academic or popular circles. Um, one of the one of the kind of uh, backbones to this whole series is uh, a handful of books written about um, Christian attitudes, early Christian attitudes to war and military service that begin in 1905 with Adolf Harnack's um, Militia Christi, and he was the first modern historian, um, church historian to look at soldiers and soldiering and the soldiers of Christ. Militia Christi is the army of Christ. And he wrote in German, and he wasn't published in English or translated to, to English until 1981. Um, but in 1919, John Cadeau um, published in English, who's an Englishman actually, um, and he was the first you know, English speaker to write about some of this stuff. And he goes... Um, he gives some attention to scripture. Um, Harnack gives a little bit less. And from Cadeau onward to uh, Jean Hornus's uh, in French, um, Liberum et, Eve- uh, uh, et Evangelion, I think. And in English, that gets translated into um, It is not lawful that I should fight. Um, translated by um, Alex Kreider Kreider in 19, I want to say 68, 69. And the the two that are probably most famous in the United States are Roland Bainton's Christian Attitudes and then John Yoder's, which originally appeared in 1983 as a small pamphlet, but got a a reboot in 2007 or 2009 by uh, Andy Alexis Baker and Theodore Kuntz, who took not only the 83 manuscript, but also his lecture notes for that specific class. And that came out in 2009, I think. Um, and then most recently, George Clancy's Caesar and the Lamb, uh, which I think was like 2012. And so each of these books proposed to talk about Christian soldiers in the tradition and in Scripture, some are more open about not talking about scripture, but there's clear evidence, um, one of which we've already heard about, the soldiers of Luke 3.14, the rakes, as I call them. Um, they're there, and they were baptized, and it's confirmed they were baptized, and they were soldiers, but for some reason, they get used as proof texts to either like justify military service, or they're ignored outright, like uh, Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus um, is um, the Antipathos of the island province of Cyprus. 
Paul and Barnabas and John Mark uh, are in Cyprus on their way to, I can't remember, maybe Greek, Greece, I can't remember. And so they go to the capital, because why would they not go to the capital if they're on a missionary trip and they're on the island and they're just going to do it? When they get to Paphos, they actually find this um, false prophet named Elimas, whose name means magician. And Elimas somehow facilitates a meeting between Sergius Paulus, the Antipathos, the proconsul, and Paul and his companions. And in a long story short, what um, what seems to occur is that Elimas gets uncomfortable with how convincing Paul is, and he says something to oppose him. And so Paul blurts out, like, don't make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And so he says, um, the Lord will the Lord will strike you or, or something. And sure enough, oh, and he predicts that Elamos will go blind, just like Paul had gone blind temporarily um, on the road to Damascus. And sure enough, he is. And Sergius Paulus, um, the highest ranking person on the island, um, it is said that he believed, pisteo. And so he doesn't necessarily confess Christ as Lord. He's not baptized, but it, he does believe he is one of Saul's converts. And this happens because we know when Sergius Paulus reigned, for lack of a better word, um, we know it happened somewhere between 47 and 48 CE. So very, very early, before it seems, Paul even starts writing his epistles. And he doesn't mention Sergius Paulus in his letter to the Romans, where Sergius Paulus would have returned after his one-year appointment to Cyprus. And it's possible that you know he just died, so he wasn't there to greet. Um, but at least in Acts 13, it's clear that he's converted. Um, and as the proconsul, he's part of this this historic position that used to be the leader of their own private armies. Proconsuls in the Republic era um, could raise their own armies, and they're given you know kind of an area that they oversaw. And they acted more or less like governors. They did have to answer to the Senate, but the armies were theirs, make them kind of dangerous. But by the time the empire rolled around, the provinces were restructured, and the border provinces, which were more dangerous and required the presence of legions, they, they answered directly to the emperor, one of the Augusti or one of the Caesars. The other provinces are called senatorial provinces, and Cyprus was one of these. And they were overseen by proconsuls or governors, which is a synonym. Um, in the Bible, when Antipathos appears, it sometimes is governor, sometimes is ruler, sometimes maybe like once or twice it's proconsul. Um, but they, they were these interesting positions because senatorial provinces didn't have lesions. If you were a governor of a senatorial province, it was the upper classes in Rome who didn't want anything to do with you, so they sent you off to an unremarkable assignment for a year just to get rid of you. So Sergius Paulus would have had power without status. He controlled the auxilia on the island, and you know he's commander-in-chief of all the Roman forces there and would have decided you know, uh, capital crime sentencing just like Pilate did. Um, <clears throat> Pilate's a little bit different because Judea was not a province at the time 
not at least not until after the temple was destroyed in 77 uh, or 70 um but the, the 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 ranking was kind of similar um so Sergius Paulus is this kind of you know not disgraced but unpopular among friends um who was given this assignment and while he's there he's converted he's it says he believes and so he is a christian soldier um it doesn't say much about you know the morality or this or that it's not you know he's not a character that helps make you know a point for or against war or military service but he's clearly a christian and he clearly is uh, at the top of the military apparatus and in fact he's the highest ranking of uh, Paul's converts, um, and you know why some of these prior academic you know papers and books haven't explored him is just kind of beyond me. He's one of these where it's like there is evidence of Christian soldiers; they're right there. Whether it's Luke three fourteen or Sergius Paulus or the uh, jailer Philippi, which we'll get to later, um, and that's one of the reasons, or one of the things that kind of animated me um, to write not just grunt God, or God is a grunt, but a number of other things. Um, if you go to pupuhq.com at the top, you'll see resources. And underneath the resource, the drop-down list will give you earliest attitudes. And you can check that out and look at some of these prior treatments of, um, you know, attitudes on Christian soldiers. Um, I have been meaning to, you know, write reviews of each of them, and I just haven't. But Sergius Paulus is this kind of nondescript, Christian soldier, uh, kind of lost to history, but you know when you look at it, it's fairly undeniable that you know he is both a Christian and a soldier, and so it's it kind of makes this argument a little bit more difficult to claim that you know Christians didn't serve in the military until like the second century because it it just just not true. The evidence is right here if we want to look at it. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with Pew Pew HQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, Always family. Semper Familia.